impulse where it goes mm-hmm. and you know igniting collaborations and, and partnerships where it's clear there's a chemistry and there's, there's something happening yeah um i suppose the worry is it just starts to become a bit self-indulgent you know and it's like i'm an, I'm an actor slash model yeah, slash but, painter but you've got to take these things all in, in their, their individual merits you know That's some true. people will be able to do Absolutely. it and some Aye. people it'll be bruce willis you know <laughs> Anyway, uh, I listen, I'm a huge Bruce Willis fan. Just the, the return of Bruno. I bought it as well. <laughs> Excellent. Dear, dear, you brought dear. the other copy. I've, bought... <laughs> <laughs> I've got the other half of the law. <laughs> uh, this is the fifth Scots Way Hey podcast, and uh, we're having far too good a time here. I have with me Alan Bissett. Hello. And we're going to talk uh, about lots of stuff over the next hour, I'm hoping. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for uh, coming along. Um, the way we're doing this is I'm going to talk a little bit about your novels, particularly Pac-Man, the last one, mm-hmm. and then we're going to have a more general, hopefully, discussion about anything that we really wanted. We'll get back to Bruce Willis. We'll get back to Bruce Willis by the end, and that comes under favourite actor. Uh, <laughs> first of all, Boy Racers recently, this year, it's 10th anniversary. Right. Yep. So, 2001. how did that make you feel? Well, the obvious answer is old, uh-huh. but the other answer is uh, young, yeah. actually, because I, I got to go back and revisit it, mm-hmm. um, and I, I re-wrote it. And I know, which uh, I thought was, a, you know, beyond the pale, that's fantastic. Well, I mean, I had the whole conversation with people about whether or not I was going to do it, and a lot of people were like, no, don't touch it, let, you know, let it be preserved in amber. Mm-hmm. Um, as, a, as a document, you can't go back and remaster these things and, and, and you can actually I think yeah. I mean there was some of it I mean I was what 24 when I when I started writing it some of it is, is great and there's a lot of energy there and, and there's a lot of it I really like mm-hmm. and that obviously people who've taken that book to their hearts really like but you can tell it's written by somebody who hasn't a clue how to write a novel <laughs> it's all whiz and bang and whoosh and that's great but I just know a bit more now about how to put a sentence together and how to put a how, how things should look aesthetically on the page and there was a lot of it that I, I realised I could change without altering the mood or the feel of it too mm-hmm. much and turn it into something else and actually just making it a better reading experience but I got to revisit my younger self I got to revisit me being 24 yeah. and 16 Aye. it was like sort of you know going through the, uh, the, the hall of mirrors you know so that was, yeah, that was an interesting experience. Were you worried that going back and rewriting it, you would lose some of it? Because it's an incredibly energetic novel. Um, you, you can tell it's written. One, I think you can tell it's a first novel because there's you know you throw a lot in there, but it, it's it's pacey and 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 yes, there's whiz bang and but it suits the character and it suits it suits all the characters actually. It suits the book. Were you worried that that would be perhaps lost by? you coming back and saying, well, I wouldn't see that now or I wouldn't mm-hmm. perhaps do that. I was worried about that and it will be for others to decide yeah. whether or not um, I've succeeded or failed. And well, I didn't notice that you'd reread it until, that you'd rewritten it until, I think I noticed one thing and I compared the two and I went, hang on a minute. Right. But, um, well, that's interesting. That's great. That's great. But sentence by sentence, I think it's just a, a better book now. Yeah. I mean, the sort of world that it's describing is fluid anyway. It's yeah. like a very pop culture uh, technological, um, I don't know, hyper real novel. Yeah. And it's playing games with other texts. You know, the film quotes come in and the song lyrics come in, and suddenly the you know a sentence will be severed halfway through, and you know the voice of Han Solo will, will yeah. start. And 
Uh, so I figured that it's, it's the kind of book, you know, it's not a big solid monument of a thing mm -hmm. there to be, you know, worshipped and, and sort of, you know, we wipe the dust off it every so often and look at how, you know, what a, what a solid work of genius it is. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a scrap. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, recently uh, they've redone all the Smiths albums, mm. which I haven't heard yet, but I'm waiting for I can afford to buy the whole thing. And Johnny Marr's gone back and... and uh, polished them up and mm -hmm. lifted certain things. I think particularly the rhythm section has been brought forward. Um, and all the reviews say this is really taking what was already genius, mm -hmm. in my eyes anyway, and, and and doing exactly that, making it even clearer and even better, using the techniques that are now available yeah. and applies to yourself oh, and applying them to the other things. Yeah. So. yeah, well, I mean, I, I think I got it right, yeah. basically. And it did bring that book back. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even just re-releasing it for its 10th anniversary, people just remember it. Yeah. Because 10 years is, is a long time, yeah. I suppose. And, you know, new books come along and people sort of forget what happened when. And um, it just felt, given that the book, that you know, Pac-Man, the sequel was about to come out, it, mm -hmm. might, it just felt worthwhile reminding people that, that it was there. And, and it's had a really kind of warm response again. It's, there's a lot of affection for that oh, book. I can't quite is, yeah. understand or explain. It's, it's one of these things you can't plan for. Um, you know, there's affection. I, I think I've written better books, uh -huh. but that's the one that people, it seems to mean something special to them. It manages to do that thing which the best, anything to be dealing with teen lives, I'm thinking of John Hughes movies or Gregory's Girl or something yeah. like that, it touches a time in life that really means probably more to most people than any other time, I think. Yeah. And having spoken to people who read it when they were that age, I'm speaking to Alan Wilson about it, he read it, I think, when he was. 15, 16, and like, oh, this is amazing. But I remember reading it, or being a bit older, and going, I wish I'd read that when I was 16, 17. So I think yeah. there's something, you, you don't have to be that age to appreciate no. it. I think it carries through, because it brings back that time. Exactly, back. I, I wanted to bottle that feeling of what it's like with your mates when you're a teenager, and you've got no responsibilities and nothing to do except hang out and just yeah. banter. And the world hasn't closed down on you yet. You know, you, you've, there's still the possibility that you could all be famous one day. Yeah. You know, or, or millionaires. And, and obviously you reach a certain stage in your life when you start to um, feel the horizons to, to your world being quite um, definite. Yeah. And that, that is a horizonless book, yes. I suppose. It's just like, it's, it's like a road movie. Yeah. You know, it's four guys, let's just charge off into the sunset and, yeah. you know. Uh, just yeah. lyric. That, do you know, actually, that's what I was going for. Ah, you know, th that Springsteen album, Born to Run, mm -hmm. just transposed that to Falkirk. Yeah. And essentially, that's what I wanted it to feel like. So um, that's the sort of book I, would, I, would, I wouldn't be able to write it now. Well, so it's it, not possible. And it was interesting, I, we'll come on to talk in a minute, coming back to those characters in Pac-Man, because it, does, it shows you the world that has now been closed off mm -hmm. and, uh, and how the dynamic between them has changed. Pac-Man's Nebraska. Uh, very good. Yeah. How's that? <laughs> aye, aye, that's excellent. Um, so then it was the incredible Adam Spark. Yep. And uh, I haven't read that since it first came out, but what I do remember uh, about it was that it's just a really moving uh, novel. And tell us a little bit about why you wrote that and the background to it. Uh, Adam Spark kind of emerged out of a, a creative chaos, really. I'd just published Boy Racers. I was 25. I was feeling really confident. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd, I'd punched a hole through and the reception to that book had been great and you start to think oh I know how this is done now yeah. you know that kind of cocky way you do in your mid-twenties when especially when you've had a little bit of success and you know you think that it's just going to carry on like that yeah. and uh, it took four years to write Adam Spark my bottle crashed yeah. you know I just did not know what to do next you start to become a bit more self-conscious mm -hmm. 
about your writing because you're first of all trying to write a better book than you did the last time and not just repeat yourself yeah um but i started to get really worried about well should i be writing in scots should i be writing in english um should i be writing a book set outside of falkirk you know what register should i employ uh, yeah. suddenly you don't just have that freedom yeah um, you have to you have to think things through a bit more, and that just became constipating. And so I, I was throwing things at the page, and nothing was working. It was Aye. you know it just felt kind of stillborn, really. And then it was only when I said, "Do you know what? Fuck it. Set the thing in Falkirk. Just get a character, get them talking. Um, you know, stick exclamation marks everywhere." Uh-huh. <laughs> and and I basically I forced myself to lose the self consciousness. Yes. And just write and just feel a character and, yeah. and, and wear his skin yeah. uh, and then it took off you know as soon as I made that decision this is the language I'm going to write in and I don't care mm-hmm. what the political meaning of it is yeah. really or, or whether or not it's the thing I should be doing next and off you go uh, and then I just couldn't shut that guy up <laughs> you know he's, he's a talker he's, uh, <laughs> I, was, yeah, I wonder if it was because you knew in this, with the second novel that people actually would be reading it Boy racers, you when you write your first novel and you write your first day anything, you're never entirely sure if anyone's actually going to Which frees you up. Yeah. Because you can do what you like. Uh, yeah, I think that, that is the case. And people compare it against the first book and go, oh, I don't like yeah. this one quite as much and all that. But you, can, you can't let that stuff no. sit there. Otherwise, you wouldn't write anything. Yeah. You know, you'd just be second guessing yourself all the time. So, But it's understandable why, why you do it. So it took you, f- how long did it take you to actually get over that and get writing it? But it was a long period where you were just yeah. trying all these different things. Yeah, um, I, I, I tried to write a book, I tried to write a gothic novel about a doppelganger um, in Leeds. Uh, oh. When I was living at the time, I'd moved, this was the other thing, I, I was working uh, as a lecturer down in Leeds University full time. So that then slows things down a bit. Yeah. Um, and... I was trying to, I think I was trying to write a, a very literary novel, you know, using all the, the tropes that I learned at university and have been approved by the educational system. Yes, people that give me ticks to, we'll come exactly. and talk about that in a minute. Aye, aye. Um, and, you know, you have to let that go. And then I started writing this story about, a, another story about a teenage boy, and it was written in English. Yeah. About this boy who kind of had, um, well, some sort of um, mental disability. And then, well, two things happened. One... I decided I didn't really like it. Mm-hmm. And two, the curious incident of the dog in the night time came out. Of course, yeah. And I picked it up in Waterstones and I read the blurb in the back and this is before it became the huge phenomenon. Mm. And I was just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so I clearly couldn't get down that road. Yeah. And I think that's when I just thought, you know what, strip it back. Yeah. Go to Falkirk. You know, open your mouth. See and, what comes out. and see what comes out and that's what came out and that's that's what saved me yeah. so I then got this energetic rush to, to finish mm-hmm. it um, but there, there had been about two and a half or three years of just no. fucking about and getting it wrong mm-hmm. and and the public never gets to see that no I know but when you're in it oh god it's horrible yeah, I can imagine mm. I can imagine you'll so, grab whatever works yeah you know it's like yeah. Scotty trying to fix the Starship Enterprise so when you finish the, the, the novel yeah. <laughs> 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 I can't hold it together <laughs> uh, when you came to finish it, was it was it a sense of well, you know what, I'm I've finished now, or did you know it was it was a good bit of work, or did you think well, you know, I, I had to get that out of the way almost? Um, I think by the time I'd, I'd finished it, I felt it was a good bit of work good. because you start to get people's reactions. To yeah, it, of course. Um, which hopefully give you an indication of whether or not you've got things right or got things wrong, and you wouldn't have gone that far mm-hmm. into it. You know, you certainly wouldn't have finished it if you didn't think, oh, I've got something here. Yeah, okay. Um, so there was a satisfaction in getting that difficult second album yeah, out right. of the way, really. 
Um, or that's what I thought. But then that process has repeated itself twice Always again. Now. again. And so, <laughs> so in terms of writing novels, only once has it come easy. Mm-hmm. And that was Boy Racers. That's interesting. Mm. Well, that takes us on well to uh, your third novel, Death of a Ladies' Man. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, it makes a lot of uh, sense to me. Far too much, I would like to admit, on the microphone. So maybe we'll talk about it <laughs> another time. What it did do, actually, when I first read it was, I mean, I'm a man with uh, dandyish tendencies. And it made me think, oh, God, why am I wearing this pink scarf? <laughs> what, I mean, what, am I, what, what am I sending out here? It peacocking. Really kind of peacocking. The whole idea of... Pe- explain what peacocking is. Peacocking is a technique used by uh, pickup artists where they make themselves visually splendid. Uh, and it's also a talking point. If you're in a bar and you're wearing a Davy Crockett hat, Aye. you know, some girl's going to say to you, oh, like the Davy Crockett hat. Aye. There you go. It, it basically makes you stand out for the crowd. Aye. It made me look at my dad in a different way as well. <laughs> all those cravats you've been wearing over the years, old man. But, uh, but the, the, the book's about masculinity. Uh, it's certainly yeah. about a certain type of masculinity. Um, maybe a male crisis, if you like. Um, and this man who has had his uh, marriage fall apart um, suddenly embraces almost like a second... Uh, what's it? Second wind's not the right term, but he, he, he really goes out there and he, he tries to meet as many women as possible. Yeah. And, and this... You're talking about a doppelganger, this almost overtakes him. It is like something has, you know, yeah. uh, like a demon. what seems to be, uh, I think, mm-hmm. I might be wrong about this, uh, a decent man in many senses has been overtaken by this uh, desire to be desired. Yep. It's not about his satisfaction, it's about something much bigger than this. Yeah. Um, so, why did you decide to, to, to write what is a real damning critique of us men? Well, I think um, it's possible that in the previous two books I wasn't very hard on men. I mean, I think there are we encoded critiques here and there, I suppose, of the construct that we might call masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, but Boy Racers is, is relatively affectionate mm-hmm. uh, about, about friendship. It's about a guy who feels asked to move on from his friendship group, but, you know, the very fact that he's angsty about it means that there's, there's love there between men. Mm-hmm. And, and Adam Spark, um, I think I went a bit further into the dark because he is, is volatile and he has, he has anger issues, but he's also kind of a sweetheart in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, and with Charlie Bain, I just wanted to take things to the logical conclusion and um, take this character and his ego yeah. and completely deconstruct it yeah. and you know look from top to bottom from his most noble self mm-hmm. and his, his intellectual self right down to the base animal. Yeah. Uh, and everything in between, and essentially, I think that's where the impulse came from. It was, it was just having, I think, what, what age would I have been when I when I was writing that? Maybe thirty, something like mm-hmm. that. Um, so having had that length of time as a man, yes, you do start to feel like, right, okay, there's 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 things about this that I don't like. There's yeah. things about male culture that I'm I'm now starting to reject mm-hmm. um, because you just when you're young you just do it. You know what yeah. I mean? You hang about your pals and and you, you you take in the codes and conventions of what it means to be a lad. Yeah, and and on you go. You're almost going too quickly to kind of stop and, yeah. and look around and go. Yeah. Is this really what I want to be doing with myself? Or? Yeah, exactly. Aye, and I think with. Uh, well, ladies, man, I just wanted to try and strip away the layers, really, yeah. until you know you've got the tiny little peeled prawn of a man at the at the centre of it yeah. shivering away. 
as, as, as the novel reaches a, cl- a climax, and I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, I say you should, everyone should read it. Um, I almost have to, I did have to actually put it down and walk away from it mm-hmm. and then go back to it because I knew what was happening. I knew, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could see what was going to happen to this man eventually. Like a car crash in slow motion. And I did not want to, yeah. you know, because there's affection for him, there really is, that might sound odd. But uh, yeah. I think there was, and perhaps as I say, um, affection, reflection, and even um, recognition. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, I think so. If, if, if people are being honest with themselves. And there's a lot of, there, but for the grace of God, you're going to go, you know, if I decided to, to take that decision, then, you know, you might, who knows where you might have ended up. Um, but it's all the more, more powerful for it. It's, uh, yeah, it's, well, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a novel which stayed with me a long time after I shut the. Well, I mean, I know people who don't like that book at all. Um, probably in a in a funny way for the same reasons mm. that you do like it. Yeah. Um, that there's there's a man in there that they um, either recognise and don't like yeah. because they've encountered those men in their life. You know, the reaction from women is very interesting mm-hmm. to that book. Um, and he, these are the different responses I've had mm-hmm. to Charlie Bain, right, from women. I couldn't stand that guy. Mm-hmm. Hated him. I know guys like that, they're scum, they're, they're nothing, waste of space. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, you've had your heart broken. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Some guy's really done a number on you. Mm-hmm. And you've, you, you know, this book is forcing you to revisit it, you mm-hmm. know? And, and so that's a perfectly valid response. There's other uh, women who are a bit like, oh, I quite liked him. You know what I mean? He's, oh, he's, 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 he's mischievous, he's got mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he let himself down at the end and, you know, I, I stopped liking him. And you think, oh, no, you've gone too far. Or there's people who started off not liking him and by the end of it felt sorry for him. Mm-hmm. You know, that it almost hadn't been his fault, his downfall. And, you know, that they wanted his good side to win. And, you know, really complex reactions, yeah. which is obviously great news yeah. for a writer. That means you've, you've created the character mm-hmm. in 3D. But it's almost like their response tells me more about them yeah. than, um, you know, th- they think. I mean, there's abysmal actions. You know, anyone that would say, oh yeah, that's the kind of guy I want to be, you really would be worried about. Um, what you do have, I think, yeah, it does say a lot about people's reactions, but it seems to me it's a man losing control, if he ever had control to begin with, um, yeah. spiralling down till he absolutely reaches rock bottom and what would be really interesting and what other people have to come up with is where does he go from there it's all very mm. well to judge someone as mm. they end, end up you know all the way yep. it's a bit like I think a, a kind of Kelman novel but with sex in it well quite you I mean, know I like, I, it's, it's, it's uh, you see this character in there. you know yeah. that Kelman uh, novel with disaffection was my favourite Kelman novel um, a disaffection um, about a teacher mm-hmm. you know who is uh, you know Political and, and he's, he's intelligent, but he's also aware of the system around him mm-hmm. and that he's trapped in it and he's sort of raging against this system. And you know, he's, he has these odd rebellions against it um, and ultimately is, is kind of defeated by it. And that's that's the temple. It's like Kelman with more coke <laughs> and, uh, and, and sex, but it's a, it's a novel about an addict, really. Yeah, that's it. And I think you know, you've got to be wary about uh, um, overly judging. Uh, addict of any kind, you know, waste, you know. My waste, feeling is whatever anybody's on. judgment on him is, that's the correct one. Yeah. You hated him, great. Yeah. I'm glad you do. Mm-hmm. You know, he it, it deserved to be punished. Yeah. You felt sorry for him a wee bit. Well, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad you found yeah. the humanity in there that, Aye. you know, that I was I was trying to Aye. keep alive. And uh, yeah, that's it's, it has a much more. Generally, the response to something like Boy Racers is it reminded me me and my pals when I was young and you know yeah. tearing about the place. 
which is lovely. But that's the one I think I went all the way in. Yeah. You know, and hurt people with. And I've got no desire to write that book. Ever. Well, uh, that's <laughs> interesting. I can, I can imagine. I mean, it is, as I say, it's fairly exhausting to read at times. Um, but in a, in a really Trying great way. the fucker. I know. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, I can't imagine. Uh, there's a quote here which I'm going to uh, get for you. And um, it's to do with Scotland more than anything else. It says, we're part of a global dream that humans have about themselves. Scotland can exist fully if we dream hard enough. Julie, I just can't relate to that Scottish deep fried chip in the shoulder. Train spotting was wrong. It feels fucking great being Scottish. We're becoming something, Julie. I can feel it. We're getting dressed up. I think it's a great quote. Expand a little bit on that. Do you believe that to be the case or is this the character talking rather than you? Um, well, I think it's become increasingly the case yeah, so since that was written. I think Scotland is turning into something else. You know, that SNP victory earlier in the year really took everybody off guard mm-hmm. and released something quite deep and trapped within the Scottish consciousness, which was a pride. Mm-hmm. You know, it was. It felt like the first time Scotland had said no in a long time. You know, after Thatcher came along and sort of, you know, brutalised a lot of us, um, and we got our parliament and, and stuff like that, you know, there was, there was a certain inching along the way but it felt like the first time there was actually Scottish people who were prepared to take the country somewhere else and, and, and other people prepared to go with them for that day that the SNP get in now, you know I've got various issues with the SNP mm-hmm. um, as, as as we should you know we have to keep our eyes open to politicians but that day it felt like we were all on the same side yeah. you know Catholic Protestant Highland mm-hmm. uh, industrial belt working class middle class everybody was saying we're Scots. We're Scots, yeah. And I've never experienced that. Yeah. Never. Without uh, an embarrassment or a kind of, uh, you know, a irony around the corner. Because yeah. It just was a case yeah. of Yeah, and the challenge for progressive people was, I mean, not only steering the country towards independence, which I think would be the right move, but to then turn it into a country that is fairer and more equal and uh, respects people's rights yeah. and isn't the British state as we know it. Well, with that in mind... Let's move on to Pac-Man. <laughs> Speaking of the British state. British state. A book with a big Union Jack in the front. Ah, half a Union Jack on the cover. Um, but talking about um, a new Scotland and Scotland moving forward and all those things, the major thing, perhaps unsurprisingly, that was picked up with Pac-Man was that it deals with sectarianism, and a, which is something, perhaps surprisingly, is dealt with, perhaps unsurprisingly, it's dealt with very rarely in books and in film and and, and, uh, in other places as well. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to take that on? Well, I mean, I didn't start with a theme. It was more a case of um, you just feel the characters start talking Mm -hmm. to you. And when I first came up with the idea for that book, uh, it wasn't going to be about the same characters from Boy Racers. Um, But I realised... Well, what I need is a bunch of guys who've known each other for a while. There's friendship there, but it's strained now because some of them have moved on, some mm-hmm. of them haven't. This uh, Rangers in Manchester, that was always going to be the framework for the book, was yeah. this Rangers trip to Manchester. Um, so Rangers has to be in there somehow. Different guys in the group have to feel differently towards Rangers from other guys. Mm-hmm. I've written these characters. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It would be pointless for me to try and come up with a group of guys that... Um, just have different names for yeah. the ones in Boy Racers but a similar background just mm-hmm. this is a sequel mm-hmm. and um, then that, that made progress with it uh, relatively easy um, and the sectarian stuff just came with it you couldn't write about a Rangers no, of course supporters bus um, certainly not if you're telling the truth yeah. uh, without 
that stuff coming up. But what I didn't want to do was just deal with a kind of surface, oh, isn't sectarianism ugly? No, kind and of it thing. doesn't do that. It's not ticking a box and saying, I mean, actually, the, the bringing back those characters from Boy Race has, has allowed you, one, to not just see how the characters have moved on, which is interesting, as you say, it's mm-hmm. a popular novel of yours, but also how um, the relationships between them and their lives have moved on, which means that there is a, there is a, there are often underlying bitternesses and things which have not been addressed, and um, there's also the question of class comes into it, uh, mm. which is in quite a few of your novels. Mm-hmm. Um, again, something else that people seem to shy away from when they either write, well, this is a, a, a novel set uh, in with a working class background, or you've got a novel in the middle. Rarely mm. do, the, do the classes meet like mm-hmm. you seem to do it. Mm. Um, it's not just sectarianism, of course not, but talk a little bit about how all of these things kind of came together when you decide to revisit the characters. Well, I mean, the class thing is a, is a constant, I think, in the work that I've been doing. Um, it's less on the agenda in Ladies' Man, because mm-hmm. that's mainly about sex mm-hmm. and, and masculinity and stuff, but... I think in Boy Racers, Adam Spark, you know, these the, the, the tension between um, working class and middle class culture is definitely there. I mean, in Boy Racers, you've got Alvin who wants to get away from folk yeah. and go to university, but he, he doesn't know what that will make him or, or yeah. whether he can survive mm-hmm. uh, in that environment. And Adam Spark, you've got Adam's sister Jude, who is at university mm-hmm. and is pulled backwards. Yeah towards Falkirk and the responsibilities to her family and, and stuff like that. Uh, and then in uh, Alvin, you've got somebody who's at the other side of university, yeah. who's who's made it away, um, has become, I suppose, to a certain extent, alienated for his, his upbringing and, and his home culture, and is now trying to reconcile that. And I think that that's, that's probably how a lot of Scots feel, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of people in Britain, for that matter. Yeah. The notions of class have been very confused mm-hmm. since Thatcher. Yeah. Essentially, because suddenly people were property owners and, and people's living standards were going up and nobody was working in factories anymore. They were all doing kind of white collar jobs in offices and uh, people whose parents were very definitely working class mm-hmm. um, no longer knew what the signifiers yeah. were. Is it accent? Yeah. Is it income? Is it culture? Is it taste? Is yeah. it where you live? Uh, is it the clothes you wear? You know, it all became very confused. And I think this book is an attempt to at least partially sift through that and uh, and try and bring that character back mm-hmm. to um, to who he is. Yeah. And I think that's that's one of the things that's now happening, you know, that with this economic crisis, is that this illusion that we were all middle class, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that Blair was encouraging and, and you know, and the, the, the sort of rise in prosperity in the country, it was all based in phantom money. Yeah. It was all based in debt. It was unsustainable. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a confidence trick. Oh yes. You know, it was smoke in the mirrors and now you're finding that layer of working class people who joined the middle class crashing back down uh, and there's there's much less of a safety net yeah. than there was um, before they went up. Yeah. So I think these themes are quite urgent. Oh yeah. And class has been off the agenda in it Scottish was literature for about the last the idea 12 years, I think. What defined, uh, you know, if you, you've, if you got a Fraser's store card and a credit card, and by the way, fill them up to the max as you feel free, then you are suddenly going to be, you know, better than the folk next door or whatever, uh, to try and get everything, as you say, the middle class 
uh, and the, all the accoutrements that come yep. with it and then suddenly when that doesn't become sustainable and you're left with a house that you can no longer afford and mm -hmm. your TV's getting taken off you know, like, yeah, yeah. you know the people that told you to do these things are quite happy yeah and well, it's not dealt with you're right it's not dealt with this the crash back down hasn't been dealt with I'm sure it will hopefully it will be in years to come mm -hmm. the it seemed to me like Alvin had lost his identity he'd enjoyed university mm -hmm. he'd got a lot from it both mm -hmm. uh, intellectually and uh, socially socially yeah. <laughs> yes absolutely well this exactly mm -hmm. I mean we're talking about what strict definitions and saying well here are the boxes that make someone working class here mm. are the boxes that make someone you know a, a, a sexual predator yeah. here are the boxes <laughs> that make someone whatever of course we're talking with individuals and um, you deal with a kind of confused sexuality with Alvin as well he's not sure He's not sure what he is yeah, for stop. For stop, yeah. You know, he doesn't know what class he belongs to anymore. He's not even sure what his natural um, accent is. You know, he keeps sort of sliding up and down the yeah. scale. Um, and he's not sure whether or not he's gay, straight, bisexual, mm -hmm. or whether or not these terms should even apply to him. But this is the point. I don't, everyone is determined to kind of package him. Well, you know, well, I, he's a Rangers fan, but he's not enough of a Rangers fan. That's right. He's a writer. Ah, but he writes uh, thrillers or yeah, uh, horror. Yeah. Oh, that's all right then. That's acceptable. Uh -huh. He's, uh, uh, you know, are you having an affair with him? Oh no, he's gay. That's yeah, right. Well, hang on a minute. Aye. Well, let me decide what. Um, everyone is trying to kind of push this guy into. Being well, I think that's that's one of the breakthroughs that he's made as a result of his journey is that he's pushed through into a, a different different identities uh -huh. essentially, rather than the one that was sort of programmed for him by his upbringing, and um, that's very liberating mm -hmm. but at the same time there's there's always a sense of what you've lost you know it's like there is a certain security in being with your mates mm -hmm. and being this kind of guy um, a solidarity a, a community almost mm -hmm. that he now feels quite detached from um, and there, there is a loss in that I think for anybody I mean that's the tension really between the individual mm -hmm. and society which yeah. is what a lot of great literature is yeah, about yeah. but it's also been the tension I think in, in late capitalism I mean capitalism sells is this idea that you're all individuals you're, you, you, you have choices you have options you know mm -hmm. be what you can be and strike out on your own and yeah. uh, you know leave behind anything that's holding you down and this is how we've lived our lives mm -hmm. um, and now the chickens are coming home to roost um, and we realise that community is something that's been that's been quite lost and Alvin has lost it yeah. and what the Rangers trip I think reignites in him is that sense of a lost community and what we start to judge in the novel you know the sectarianism the sort of ugliness of it the you know the the, the, the football supporting mentality which a lot of people um, find quite frightening mm -hmm. and certainly Alvin does um, is revealed to be something else you know that what Franny represents is um, a working class solidarity, a, yeah. a fraternity that he has decided no longer to be part of. Yeah. So I think that's... And that's the tension between Franny and Alvin is a sense of betrayal, isn't it? Franny feels that he has been betrayed by Alvin just simply... Dumping them. Away, dumping, yeah. out, dumping And Alvin obviously feels that himself because he has stayed, stayed away himself. Yeah. And what we were talking about earlier on, you don't actually pick up the phone and talk to them they start getting in touch by email or on yeah. Facebook and Aye. all these kind of faceless ways of communicating when actually the thing that might have sorted them would be it's just being together, being together physically yeah. you know and which is what happens eventually and, and certainly that's what Manchester is it doesn't get much more physical you cannot escape than being surrounded by 150,000 Ranger supporters you know that's the opposite of Facebook Aye. 
So yeah, I think um, I think that's the the sort of stuff that's that's coming through. Um, and I did. It's almost like sort of full circle. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Alvin's journey away from from the group, uh, and then you've got Adam Spark, who's who's kind of uh, he, he joins the gang that. Uh, and, and that novel that are destructive mm-hmm. and actually kind of uh, exploit him, mm-hmm. and then you've got Charlie, who's a lone wolf, mm-hmm. and and destroys himself as as a result of it. And, and he really you, doesn't seek out the company of men at, at all. Yeah. He doesn't like men at all. Yeah. But he sees men as competitors. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Alvin, who is on his own, and then reconnects with the gang again. So it's almost like the, the four novels form mm-hmm. a, a circle, you know, with boy racers and pack men sort of like, you know, it's, it's the return to the Brotherhood, mm-hmm. almost. So I, I kind of feel like I've looked at all these different types yeah. of men, and I think it's probably about time I wrote a female character. <laughs> the four stages of men, <laughs> and back again. Because there can be novels about women too. Oh, I believe that's the case, I believe <laughs> that's the case. So what was the reaction? I'm interested in what the general reaction has been to Pac-Man. Well, the general critical reaction has been very positive. It's had, it's had great reviews, so I've been really lucky in that respect. Um, but the critical reaction is only ever one thing Mm -hmm. you actually want people out there in the world to to like it and to connect with it because ultimately you're not writing books for reviewers yeah um and the reaction from the general reader has been stronger than the reaction to any other books i think i think maybe it's pacey and and it's it's short and it's Mm -hmm. it has a a momentum about it Mm -hmm. maybe something like ladies man doesn't Mm -hmm. um which is a bit i suppose a bit more um I don't know how psychological. Yes, yes. Uh, whereas this has got um, a, a sort of forward drive to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Um, so that that is a bit of reading experience for people, I think. But also, I think a lot of people see it's it's like boy racers. They see themselves and their yeah. mates in it. Yeah. You know, they see the supporters' buses that they've been on. Uh, and I think for old firm fans in particular, um, well, I mean, the sort of responses from old firm fans to that book. Mm-hmm. And those characters are like the responses from women to Charlie Bain. Yeah. It says much more about them yes, than it does. I can imagine. That's a really uh, than it does about about me. So if you, you've got, I've had Ranger supporters saying to me they love it because it's how them and their mates talk, mm-hmm. and other Ranger supporters saying, "Whoa, whoa, what are you trying to show this side is for?" You mm-hmm. know what I mean? No, everybody went down there and rioted, mate, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know we're, we're no sectarian bigots, mm-hmm. and which is which is if you're not saying like, <laughs> exactly. A lot of these reactions come from people who haven't read the book. Yeah. It's, it's worth saying. Um, but I did want to see all the different sort of kinds of ranger supporting. Mm. So there's a lot of guys on that bus who, you know, every time the word Fenian comes up, they're a bit like, oh, I should give this a rest. Yeah, yeah. And there's other guys who are right into it and demanding that everybody else, you know, there's there's no a single thing known as a ranger supporter that has a single set of coherent views. Which in any large group of mainly men, it has to be said still, there's always people who kind of roll their eyes done it myself and say God I wish they hadn't said that Aye, but exactly. you don't actually I mean to stand up in a, any, in a bus full of people or a stadium full of people and say hey the right thing to do Aye. and I'm pleased to say a couple of times I've done it in certain situations but there are many other times where you just kind of you say, keep your mouth shut you yeah exactly Aye. You know. Aye. Aye. so um, I wanted to give everybody a fair crack of the weapon for Rangers fans to feel that there's whatever type of fan that they are, there's somebody in there yeah. who represents them and, and their feelings about the, the, the club. Yeah. Um, and I think Celtic supporters, well, I mean, it's a difficult sell to Celtic supporters because it's got a Union Jack in the front mm-hmm. and it's about Rangers. Um, I know a mate of mine did, who's a Celtic supporter, went onto a, a, a website, a forum, and tried to talk to them about the book mm-hmm. and it was just, poof, forget it. 
I'm not reading about. I thought people even one of them. I thought there would be a lot of people who would want to read it to see because what happened in Manchester, you can't say that that was good in any way. Even the most you know rampant Rangers fan yeah. couldn't say that that ended well. Yeah, it was a disaster. Right? So I would thought, well, let's see, you know, what this guy's going to say. But there's, I thought there would be a curiosity there, but perhaps not. Maybe it's as simple as not. Not interested. Just well, I mean, the again, there's so many different types of Celtic supporter. Okay. There's the, at least two reviews on Amazon by people who say I am Celtic as mm-hmm. a fan, okay. um, and and they've given it, um, you know, a good report. And I think a lot of Celtic supporters might read it partly because it's about the old firm, mm-hmm. you know, and and there is a vested interest yeah. from either side of the old firm about yeah. conversation that concerns the other side. They're, they're, they're symbiotic. Mm-hmm. Those two clubs really. Course. You know, they're, they're, if, if Rangers or Celtic was to go down, half the value of those clubs, the symbolic value of those clubs, would disappear overnight. Yeah. So, um, as much as they would celebrate it, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, ah, Rangers have gone bust. Yeah. Right, well, what do we uh, mean what now? What we're doing now, yeah. Ah, exactly. It's just us. Mm. Playing Thistle four times a year in the like, <laughs> exactly. derby is not yeah. really quite the same thing. We'll have, to, we'll have to ignite something with hearts. Um, <laughs> so, but there's also Celtic supporters who. You know, they've gone on trips supporting their team abroad and the banter is kind of the yeah. same. You know, it's as much about male friendships of course, as it is about, mm-hmm. you know... Which makes me wonder why... Loyalism. Yeah, more people haven't used that as a backdrop uh, to examine friendships and what happens when large groups of people get together. I think it's a fascinating... I, I, on the, off the back of this, I, I re-watched... Uh, just Another Saturday, the Peter McDougall film that was made oh, right. for today that was made in the 70s when mm-hmm. he got unbelievable access to the Orange Walk. They mm-hmm. allowed him to film it. I think they thought he was going to do a kind of, wasn't this great? And it's unbelievable to see the stuff that he's, the footage, uh, especially the stuff from Kelvin Grove Park where people are fall down drunk. Um, it's a very, inter- but again, it's not a strict condemnation. He, he's trying to show a kind of yeah. balanced view and how one guy wakes up in the morning, he's really excited, he's going to be leading the band going to be throwing the mace mm. and how his day changes and how he his perception of of what he's involved in changes. It's mm-hmm. a fascinating do- and nobody's been allowed that access since. And I'm just interested mm. that not many people have even tried to kind of broach the subject but then again maybe they think that en masse they're going to annoy more people and they're going to uh, well, I quite. It's, it's a dangerous subject to bring up yeah. because people have such visceral reactions mm. to it. Yeah. You know, whether you're Rangers, Celtic, or neutral. Yeah. You know, it's it's a very contentious topic, yeah. and it's very complex. Mm-hmm. I think there's there are so many factors involving you know immigration, race, uh, ethnicity, politics, mm. um, football, yeah, believe that um, masculinity. You know, all of these the mm-hmm. different layers of things intersecting. Yeah. So um, I, I was trying to come at it with a with a certain objectivity. Cool. And, and I think he did. I, did, I did. I think he did. And if you if you've been thinking, well, that book's not for me, I would suggest you think again and uh, have a good read of it. Right. I'm aware that time is uh, cracking on, and I really want to talk to you about Scottish literature, Scottish writing, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, and how things are going at the moment. Mm-hmm. I am forever banging on not only in Scots with Hay and on the blog that this is a this is an exciting time. There are new voices. It's like you were saying earlier about after that SNP win, people got together from all over the country and said, we are Scots. Yeah. And I think, and it didn't matter, people went, well, Scots what? Or try mm. and justify it. How are you Scots? Mm. People just said, we are Scots. Isn't that great? Mm. And I think it's the same thing is happening now in Scottish culture in general. We can go, this is Scottish culture. And 
it's up to you to say it's not if you really want to, but why mm. do that? Why not just enjoy this inclusivity, this uh, these new voices which are coming through? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what do you think upon that, do you? Well, I think um, it does feel like there's a grassroots regeneration. I mean, Boy Racers was published 10 years ago, and so I've been able to observe, you know, what you might call the scene mm -hmm. um, for a while. Um, and it does feel like in the last couple of years, there's just a, a younger generation of writers coming through. I mean, this year alone, uh, you've got something like Alan Wilson, uh, you've got Neil Butler, you know, both in their twenties, mm -hmm. and publishing debut collections of short stories that are extremely good and confident. And you know, you can you can feel the the, the active voice there waiting to be. There's a lot of potential energy there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what's what happened in the last ten years was the was a certain drift towards the genres. You know, Scottish crime writing became the default setting. Yeah. And I'm not saying too much about that. I mean, mm -hmm. people like crime writers. Um, I, I don't read crime myself, but uh, by all accounts, these Scottish writers um, are very good. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're very good at the, at the genre that they've, they've chosen to work in. As long as people are reading books, that's, mm -hmm. that's the result. But I think one of the things that has changed is that Scottish literature did lose its radical edge uh, an experimentalism yeah. um, and perhaps a, a class consciousness mm -hmm. um, that you know when literary fiction became a bit harder to sell. Yeah, you know there was that great flowering in the eighties and nineties, and it started to become very commercial. Mm -hmm. um, I don't mean commercialised; I just mean that you know people like Irvin Welsh, Alan Warner, um, Ali Smith were able to sell a lot of books. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they're good writers, yeah. um, and it was great to see that kind of spirit being uh, rewarded by uh, by readers. But it was, in some respects, a fashion for uh, London. Mm -hmm. You know that because of the huge success of Train Spotting, yeah. being Scottish was kind of cool. Yeah, you know, and Scottish accents you, you started hearing them everywhere. You know, so this life, for example, yeah. you know there was the character. Of, um, what was her name? Daniela Nardini's character. Yeah, I can't remember, but I know. Yeah, the adverts, there were Scottish accents everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so there was a, obviously a, a, a benefit for Scottish writers there. Mm -hmm. But as fashion is wont to do, yeah. it changed. And then suddenly at the start of the millennium, you know, Zadie Smith comes along. Mm -hmm. She's young, beautiful, ambitious literary writer. And everybody starts looking in that direction and it's like, you know, uh, then you get Monica Ali, and, and so young women of colour uh, mm -hmm. became the sort of new cool ethnicity, and you know it, it changes again, and, mm -hmm. and you know I'm sure it'll come back round again to our turn, but you start to feel that why should my ethnicity be reduced to a fashion? Yeah, you know we're still here, we're That's... still writing, we want to hear about the same things that we were, you know, we we're talking to each other about before, but the marketplace has started to close these things down, and I think what's happened now is writers and publishers are saying, you know, independents mm -hmm. are saying, let's just do it anyway. Let's just reconstruct the scene around us and, and get stuff out there. And that's allowing new voices to come through again. They, um, because you're right about that fashion, but that is that tended to be UK wide. What I'm interested in is why, well, I'm not, I know why, because of course, you know, like I'm not, we're all one group of islands who, and the, these fashions cross borders, but, these writers were, a lot of these writers were still writing and 
for instance, I think Ali Smith continues to probably sell very well. Ariel Kennedy he certainly did. But there didn't seem to be another level coming through until just now. It seemed to me, I might be mm-hmm. wrong about that. You know, there was yourself mm-hmm. and not many others round about you. Until, well, until, there, I mean, I'm, be, I'm being hugely generalising here, but mm-hmm. we often talk in, uh, when, when groups come through and you're right, that train spotting was fashionable and then you'd have Marvin Collar, Alan Warner, all these people. Mm-hmm. But that did start when Rebel Inc. It started in Scotland. It wasn't yes. that the film had to go away and come back to us. Yes. It was already here. That's right. Aye. Um, it certainly reached a certain mass. Mm-hmm. I think what happened was the success of Trainspot in the film. Then that was the tipping point. Yeah. That that made it saleable. Um, but the energy was was still there mm-hmm. in Scotland, uh, definitely. And I remember being ignited by it. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember reading Trainspot in the novel uh, a couple of years before the film came out. Mm-hmm. And it just being the most exciting literature I'd ever encountered in my life. It was like a bomb going off. Yeah. And I'd never encountered Scott. It was, you know, the, the Scottish literature I'd encountered before was Norman McCaig and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Edmund Morgan and stuff like that. Very good stuff, you know, it's obviously. But it didn't speak to the age I was or the, the language I spoke mm-hmm. um, or the, the, the class that I came from. The, you know, train spot and tapped directly into that. Yeah. And was this in, in, incredible burst of energy, and like any burst of energy, uh, that culture can only sort of uh, hold it for so long mm-hmm. before it either becomes commercialised yeah. and so emptied of its of its value, or it dies. Yeah. And uh, I think what happened in, in the noughties, there were good writers coming through, mm-hmm. definitely. I mean, Ewan Morrison's one, yeah. Sahil Sadi's one, yeah. uh, Colette Paul was one, uh, Louise Welsh. Um, and certainly Louise was, was very commercially successful mm-hmm. but it did feel like it was it, f- it felt like the doors had started to close uh, on us again and that being Scottish was actually something that could be used against us yeah. rather than if, being yeah. the thing that made us more saleable in inverted yeah. commas uh, with all those writers I wonder if they were almost pigeonholed it was like well Louise Welsh is the, the crime writer if you like or the mm-hmm. gothic writer and so sad he's the Asian writer yep. Ewan Morrison's the sex writer yep. and, and now it's, it appears to me well that those kind of definitions going back to this determination for some people have to define people and limit them that doesn't seem to be the case anymore and you can ha- quite happily read um, a, a short story by for instance in Year of Open Doors by Aidan Moffat alongside so you'll sadly alongside you know yourself or something mm. like that um, and nobody's there's less feeling that you have to be uh, in constantly referring back to another part. It's like, well, look at all this stuff that's going on. That's certainly yeah, how I feel like. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think there's, um, in a way, it swings and roundabouts because the, the more open the doors are, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that the that anthology itself, the year mm-hmm. of open doors that Rog edited, I, I, I love the ethic behind it, which is. Are you a writer? Are you living in Scotland? Are you prepared to engage creatively with the experience of being here? Mm-hmm. Um, you're in. And the the inclusiveness of that, in a way, comes back to what we were saying about that SNP victory. Everybody was yeah. Scottish at the one time, yeah. you know, for, for that moment. And, and Rog tapped into it with that book. I think the inevitable mm-hmm. side effect of that is that a class consciousness is lost. Mm-hmm. And I think that has been what's happened in the last 10 years. It's not that there weren't good writers coming through, but of, of all the writers that I mentioned, I, I don't think any of them would say that they're addressing working class themes. Sure. They don't have to, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah. You, write, yeah, yeah. you write from the place that you mm-hmm. feel is truest. But 
writing in, say, Scots dialect or about people who live in housing schemes mm -hmm. or about people who haven't been to university, for the last 10 years has actually been quite unfashionable. Yeah. You know, there, there was a backlash against that Kelman, Welsh, Warner, yeah. Maclean wave, which was, right, we'll let all of you in. Now we want something new. Now something different. Yeah. Um, and there, there, there are some critics in Scotland who I think fall into that too readily. Mm -hmm. it's, oh, it's working class and it's written in dialect. We've done that. We've ticked that box. Aye. Train spotting's been there. Aye. And it's like, well, how can you reduce the experience of an entire class of people to one novel yeah. or, or one moment in the literary culture? And I think that's what we need to come back. Um, and I think it, I think it will. I yeah. think uh, Alan Wilson is, is, is one of those writers, uh, for sure. I, mean, I, I always talk about the importance of local voices importance of people that happened to me, I'm sure it happened to you, you either picked up a book or you went and heard someone read and you went, okay, that is recognisably the way that I hear people speak either at home or in the playground or wherever. And I'm not saying that there was a deliberate suppression of that. I'm not going to go that far, although mm. the other people will argue that that was the case. Mm -hmm. But that did seem to me, he said, well, yeah, you've got, um, for instance, James Kelman, yeah, he, he, we've given him the Booker Prize and therefore mm -hmm. um, go back to, reluctantly given him the Booker Prize, I mean, and therefore, you know, go back and don't really uh, bother us again. Yeah. But actually, there's people who are, I'm sure of it, wanting stuff there, they're wanting to read it. You and myself and Alan are good examples of people who have found it and it's changed the way we've thought about yes. it. Not just literature, but, but Scotland and about culture and about wider concerns. Because yeah. of course, you go, all right, that's interesting. Kelman's actually influenced by Kafka, he's influenced by um, Sartre or yeah. something like that, and, and you spread out. And that's why I think these local voices whoever that may be, are really important. Absolutely. Because otherwise, what you're taking in is essentially, um, to, to some extent, an alien culture yeah. that's coming at you from a mass media. Yeah. And it's not to say that, obviously, there, there can't be great works of art that, you know, yeah. produced by Hollywood yeah. um, or, or, you know, produced in London. Of, co of course there can. Um, but it becomes prescriptive. It becomes it that whole kind of canonical thing where it says, well, yes, this is of worth and this is of worth. And usually you find out that the things people think are of worth are of dead white males often. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, you know, that, that sort of thing. Well, quite. And I think there's something to be said for reading a book or watching a film and the people in that talk the way you talk. Mm -hmm. You know, that, you know, you, you suddenly are affirmed yeah. by that. It's like, yeah, I exist, yeah. actually. I don't think we should be embarrassed by that. I think a of lot of people tell people well, though. It was like, oh, yeah. And still are to yourself. Well, whenever... You know, I, um, we do a podcast or something. I try and make clear this isn't about saying this is great because it's Scottish. It's absolutely not. It's about saying this is great. It's and it's Scottish. Post, and it's Scottish. And it's out there. And people often say, uh, well, it's not because you know, I'm wary of it being too Scottish. And I'm wary. I think, well, that's absolutely fine. We've all got our hang ups and things. But don't let that blind you to some of the great stuff that, that's actually. Well, who's going to write about Scotland other than Scots? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, unless you actually grew up here or live here or, you know, feel that culture, mm -hmm. then unless you're going to do it, then Scotland isn't going to mm -hmm. exist yeah. in the arts. You know, it's, yeah. it's like Alistair Gray talking about Lanark. He, he wanted to. Um, what was it he said? It was something like he wanted to give Glasgow to the world in the way that people thought of Paris That's and right. Florence. That's right. He wanted to show that Glasgow is a city where art can flourish. Yeah. And where and the imagination can be used completely. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think this is something that, that Kelman does. He creates a, a, a consciousness that isn't 
exclusively Scottish, you know, and isn't exclusively male, isn't exclusively working class. It's all of these things coming together in a kind of matrix, really. But for people who are Scottish that read it, mm-hmm. it connects with them. You know, you, yeah. you, you, you recognise the world that he's yeah. talking about and that gives you a confidence in who you are and yeah, where think, you've come from. Absolutely right. And there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm suspicious of people who try and convince you that there are. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, I, I'm going to go back briefly because I, I want to get my questions in. I've got to get my questions in. But in Boy Racers, and yep. this goes through all of your novels and it goes through to just what we've been talking about, you embrace pop culture and see that this is an important part of everybody's lives. Now, some people, it seems to me, wrongly, mm. seem to think that that seems to weaken a novel's uh, a literary worth. Mm. Um, I don't agree at all, but mm. um, have you had those kind of reactions? Well, he's referencing Arab Strap, uh, therefore, you know, this is just a book for people who, you know, read the word or not that I love the word. Well, I suppose... It, it, <laughs> you know what uh, I mean, though? Yeah, yeah. That's how you feel about pop culture, really. I mean... It's, God, again, it's quite complex because on one hand you could say that pop culture is a mass-produced, homogenous, uh, corporate uh, language that is forced on us. And to a certain extent that's true. Um, You know, American sitcoms or, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, Hollywood blockbusters. But at the same time, people do feel these things. Now, whether they're feeling an illusion, whether, you know, um, somebody watching Reservoir Dogs and then quoting it with their mates, Mm -hmm. and that being the film that reminds them of their pals Mm -hmm. and, you know, stuff like that, whether whether that's a... a, Whether we should be suspicious of that, that it's it's, it's somehow plastic. Yeah. In a way, is missing the point. Fact is, that is the language they're talking. You know, that is something that they feel. So you can make the point that it's a language that's come from Hollywood and in a way has absolutely nothing to do with Scotland. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, it's a language that people use. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to represent ordinary people in fiction, then you have to represent the fact that a lot of people are obsessed with certain bands and films and, uh, you know, will quote these things relentlessly and and, and do feel it as part of their identity. Uh, you can then extricate how much of that is a natural identity. You know, that's, that's, that's fine to have that conversation. But um, to simply quote from song lyrics mm-hmm. or to have one of your characters referencing Star Wars in your book, yeah. that suddenly makes it inauthentic yeah. and, and somehow valueless. Yeah. Well, you're not really living in the world, are no. you? No, I, I, and to me, pop culture or anyone's individual culture, and having read your books, I think you'll probably agree, it, I mean, it can be uh, Bruce Springsteen, it can be Albert Camus, it can be, you know, these things have a popularity now um, amongst, well, some people will have never heard Born to Run. Yeah. Some people will have never listened to a Spice Girls album, for yeah. instance, like that. Mm. Some people won't have read The Outsider. You, you kind of build these, almost like an armour around you to, to um, I'm going back to Death of His Ladies, man, there are fantastic bits where you have lists of... Yeah. Uh, books and films mm. and music and the characters in there kind of mm-hmm. cocooned by all That's these right. and either trying to get or using them as some kind yeah. of shield mm-hmm. um, which I think we all do mm-hmm. to an extent and to deny that to say well um, uh, yeah he doesn't listen to Stravinsky to Stravinsky <laughs> or, yeah I mean I, I don't I mean there'll be plenty of people it's it's the assumptions it makes and yeah. I think it goes back to the point which I've gone right through that, talking to you is that these assumptions and it annoys me, it must annoy you more than annoys me when people actually haven't dealt 
where you obviously haven't dealt with the, the actual stuff that you've written. Mm-hmm. They go in, they maybe read some of it, they maybe read all of it mm-hmm. and miss it completely, mm-hmm. but they make assumptions on so many things about it and it really kind of uh, gets to me. Well, I'm glad it gets to you. Um, it's good, so good to hear somebody <laughs> saying that. But, um, you know, the, the way you've got to look at it, if you're the writer, is everybody's going to have a different response to the world that you're creating yeah. based on how they feel about the world. Yeah. And it's just inevitable. People would think, you know, I, I remember somebody quoting to me, um, there's a line in Boy Racers that says, right now I feel the way that you do when you switch on the television and realise The Simpsons is just finished. No. I think a lot of people know how that feels. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh shit, I just missed it. Yeah. Damn, that just sums up my place in the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always the person that's just missing things. You know, but you're using a universal reference point to exactly. con- convey that feeling. Does it make that feeling then inauthentic and, and depthless? No. Maybe. I don't know. Who uh, knows? Know. It's, it depends how you feel about The Simpsons, quite frankly. Uh, well, exactly. So I'm not in control of those yeah, responses. Um, well, that's right. But I think the idea that you're narrowing a readership rather than and trying to kind of get it's like you said about crime fiction I don't read crime fiction either I used to read Ed Bain years and years ago and that was about it but you know if people are reading books then mm. all the better yeah exactly uh, I'm going to quickly ask you five questions Go for so it. I can quickly answer them favourite right. writer my favourite writer of all time is probably uh, I would say James Kelman right. he's been the, one of the most important influences but I also love Brett Easton Ellis I think yeah, yeah, he's, he, that guy just does stuff that nobody else can do yeah. no I think you're for both of those fantastic writers um, I'd love to talk to you more about Brett Easton Ellis but maybe we'll do that another time favourite book my favourite book of all time I would say is probably The Secret History by Donna Tart. Oh my god, which yeah, is just a book that. you can live inside. I mean, yeah. for a writer, it's just one of these things you look at and go, How did you do that? How did you create these characters in this world so perfectly that when you leave it, it feels like you've left a separate reality? You know, it's, it's magical. Yeah, oh, I've completely forgotten about that book. I have to go back and visit it. Um, favourite music stroke band? Well, that would be The Floyd. The Floyd, yeah. of course, you're a huge Floyd fan. I am. That is the church at which I worship. Uh, a church with a, a, a pyramid in the top and light reflecting through yeah. it. Yeah, for um, <laughs> you went down to see them recently, didn't you? Oh man, I, well, I saw I saw Roger Waters perform in the oh, hall that's what it was, yeah. at the O2 Arena recently. But I have I saw Pink Floyd on their, their final tour. I saw Dave Gilmore doing his solo thing at the the Armadillo. I've seen Roger Waters do Dark Side of the Moon. Well, j- just presume I've he's I'm, seen I'm, it all. I'm fully immersed. He is. He's got the battle scars. <laughs> Um, favourite film? Jaws. Oh, good one as well, yeah. yeah it's just, it's perfectly constructed. Yeah. You know, it satisfies on every level. It satisfies as a kind of, you know, a, a, an exciting Hollywood uh, blockbuster, yeah. essentially. But the, the grace notes in it and the character touches and the writing, it's yeah. just perfect. I mean, it goes back to that, the relationship between men. And I think very few people have captured it as well as that when they're on that boat. Yep. And the, the way they're interacting. That's right. And there is that class thing in there between yeah. Quint and Hooper. Yeah. You know, st- stuck together. Yeah. Um, yeah, love it. And event that changed your life. An you event know. that changed my life. Well, that's. And, and this isn't like the you know publishing a book or, no. or something like no, that. I mean, I kind of a bit of theatre or a. A uh, bit of theatre, there you go. Uh, or a gig or a performance or something like that. That's the kind of thing I mean. Do you know, I would I would say, uh, you always go back to stuff that you encountered, uh, I suppose, in your teens, because that's when things have the, the most impression on you. And it would probably be uh, the first time I saw a Brett Anderson performing. Ah. And I, I'd never really encountered 
sexual ambiguity before. Oh, yeah. That was a completely unknown concept that there could be somebody who actually wasn't even gay. Yeah, exactly. But still... Um, what was his famous quote? I'm a straight man and a, a, a gay... A bisexual man who's never had a homosexual that's experience. That's right. A great quote um, from Mr Anderson. Yeah, and, and at one level that's ridiculous. But at another <laughs> level it makes sense because the way he justified it is said, well, you know, do we describe virgins as asexual? Yeah. No. Um, but he seemed to have opened up spaces within his, his persona and his, his, his masculinity, I suppose, that were just completely different yeah. to the, the, the men that I knew. And I thought that was really... And the music was fucking great. Oh, huge, music, I think a huge underrated. They kind of got lost when this Britpop thing appeared. But um, for, for two albums, you know... Suede were just them. untouchable. And the, the breakthroughs that they made mm. uh, musically are still staggering me. Yeah. So th- there you go, Suede. Fantastic. Well... We're going to uh, close it there. I'm going to say thank you very much, Darren Bissett, for coming along. And uh, I think we managed to cram out (laughs) just about everything that we wanted to. Quite. uh, I'm hoping that eventually in the future you'll come back and have a chat with us again at some point. May we. Um, Thank you very much. And thanks for listening, everyone. Cheerio. Bye.